Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And we also have joining us a special guest, uh, Joe Grossheim, who's a PhD student at the University of St. Thomas down in Houston in the great state of Texas. And uh, today our topic is going to be looking at some of the uh, kind of the foundational work for much of our Catholic faith uh, and much of what we talk about here on the podcast with Thomistic philosophy, and that's going to be Aristotle. Um, but before we get into today's topic, I want to invite everybody, please uh, like and share this video. Uh, help us out. That's a good way for, uh, for us to help grow our community throughout um, all the socials. So please uh, help us out in that way. Uh, give a thumbs up, give a like and subscribe. So today, our topic, we're going to be looking at Aristotle's physics books, uh, book two. We're going to be looking at chapters eight and nine. And the main question, I know this already sounds heady, but the main <laughs> questions we want to look at is, uh, does nature act for an end? And what exactly do we mean by nature? And this is important for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, when we're, when we're talking about just the study of nature, right, science, um, it has to be intelligible in us for, uh, in order for us to put together science books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there has to be some sort of order to it, um, and so we we recognize in some way on a secular level that there's an ordered creation, right? Um, creation has purpose and was created for a purpose, and especially for us as Christians, right? Man, being part of that nature, has a purpose as well. And so what we're going to talk about today really serves not only um, an understanding uh, a good anthropology, but also it serves as a foundation for ethics and morals. Mm -hmm. um, so, Dr. Smith, uh, let's uh, uh, kick us off here. And uh, how do we how do we even wrap our heads around and kind of dive into these first uh, these first questions of nature acting to an end? Maybe explain the question if you want. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that phrase, nature acts for an end. You know, there's certain sort of uh, propositions, maxims, theses that you run across in your study of philosophy that you're just, you write, like they just, they're arresting, right? They get your attention and they really are formative. You know, you can't just build philosophy on a couple of sayings, but nevertheless, they really are good, like reference points and foundational. I think about like the opening of the metaphysics where Aristotle says, you know, all men by nature desire to know, or you know, the Socratic maxim, the unexamined life is not worth living. I mean, those are great propositions. You just don't, you like, they, they, they excite the mind and lead you to, to think. And, and one of the, another one of these is that nature acts for an end. You know, I, I will sometimes in just the middle of a discussion, just throw that down with, somebody, you know, and it, it, it just, it, it, it changes the nature of the conversation, right? Oh, wait, like maybe nature does that. What does that mean? You know, that sort of thing. So it's a, I think it's a powerful thesis uh, and one that's had a lot of influence, I think, in the history of uh, philosophy um, and culture. So uh, there's two questions then we really have to think about then, right? Is like, well, what is nature, right? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean for it to act for an end? Uh, and I think that first question maybe is a little more um, challenging than we might anticipate, right? We, we use maybe the word nature or maybe the adjective natural, right? Or the, the phrase, the natural world, um, you know, in sort of a, you know, kind of a broad way. Um, but Aristotle really means by nature something that's very specific, right? Um, by nature, he means um, uh, something, uh, it, it means a prince, an internal principle of rest and motion or an intrinsic principle of change, right? Internal principle, right? So principle here means source or origin, right? So we're not thinking about an ethical principle or epistemological principle, but uh, we just think something like an arche, a source or an origin, right? Uh, within the substance of change, and I would add maybe development, right, would be a good mm -hmm. way, you know, uh, to think about it. We tend to sometimes think about change kind of abstractly, right? Change for Aristotle always happens in substances and between substances, right? Uh, so it, it's it's not sort of a, an abstraction, but but something happening to a subject, right? Uh, or, or something that a subject is doing. So, um, in that sense, right, you know, a tree growing in your yard is an example of nature, mm -hmm. right? That is, 
as long as it's within the appropriate environment, the seed that's planted in the soil will uh, germinate and and that nature will develop. It will develop from its internal principle, its internal structure, right? right? It will develop in a rare, in a broadly predictable way uh, into uh, a flourish, you know, to a sapling and then eventually to a mature tree. Um, that is an example of nature or, you know, another example is uh, if you've ever had, uh, I think in the South, we call it cane, but you could also call it bamboo, right? It goes where it wants to go, right? Even if you don't want it to shoot across your yard, right? Yep. It will actually go underground, you know, a hundred yards or 50 yards and then pop up in the middle of your yard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, it's acting for an end, right? Or put it this way, it's, it is acting according to an intrinsic principle of motion, not what I want it to do. Right now, when I come along and cut it down, that's a different matter, right? That's not nature, but that's what Aristotle means by nature. The, the, you could distinguish that from art, right? So art would be like the microphone in front of my face, the glasses that I'm wearing, the earphones that we're all wearing, um, you know, the, the books over, you know, on my shelf, those are all instances where we have used human knowledge, uh, human, um, human knowledge and craft, to take natural things and change them according to our purposes, right? So we, uh, you know, you hear the phrase occasionally repurpose, right? Uh, we have, in a certain sense, repurposed them, right? Um, you know, it's sort of like with tomato plants, right? Tomatoes don't exist naturally for the sake of being placed on a BLT sandwich, right? Uh, but that's a darn good use of a tomato by us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the purpose that we give, right, to the tomato. Mm-hmm. So that would be an example of art. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I think I would add uh, to help us recognize what nature is, is that nature is what is always or for the most part. Right. Uh, that's another principle that comes up in Aristotle, and maybe it's not as arresting as nature acts for an end, mm-hmm. uh, but it's at least as important, right? So when you look outside and you see, um, you know, a, a tree fall in a certain way and kill an animal or something that you mm-hmm. might think, oh, that's natural, mm-hmm. right? But it's not always for the most part for right. trees to fall and kill animals. So we wouldn't say like it belongs to the end for which a tree is acting to fall and kill animals just because that's it right. happens occasionally, right? That's right. So yeah. we would we want to recognize uh, in natural substances what it is that they do always are for the most part. And that would be mm-hmm. what we were going to attribute to them as, uh, as natural. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, that's a great uh, point. Um, yeah. Because it's not, um, you know, this comes up sometimes with my, uh, with students when they ask about whether or not death is natural. Right. Mm, and you yeah. kind of want to say, well, in one sense, yes, but in yeah. another sense, no. Right. Yeah, death is a hard one. Right. Cause you would say like, yeah, this is what happens, but, is it according, it's really the decline of the intrinsic principle of the thing, right? You know, the corruption of the, of its intrinsic principle uh, uh, that brings about the end of a, uh, an organ, a living organism. Right. Um, So it is kind of natural in a way, but not in maybe a different way. Um, uh, It's certainly not the natural end, right. Right. (laughs) Right. right. For for which the species uh, exists. Uh, But yeah, that's a good, yeah. Always. And for the most part, and like, if you want to say like, you know, trees, some trees are taken up in art and turned uh, through practice into paper, right? Like they're turned into pulp and then into paper. Um, but that's not natural for a tree as tree, right? Because unimpeded trees don't become uh, books or paper, pieces of paper. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. And I would, yeah. And I would add right now, if you go to Lowe's, right, you can, you can find a real tree and an artificial tree, right? <laughs> that's and, right yeah, you know and uh, so i mean i think that's a good way to maybe you know think about the two uh the, the two distinctions we're trying to make here between uh nature mm-hmm. and art right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. think of the word artificial right so it's that, that right. kind of uh modeling after nature uh, but when when you use the word artificial you know the it's something that does not occur in nature right that's i don't right. get yeah. this yeah. this plastic green tree that has embedded lights into it Sure, right. Sure. I don't find that in nature artificial. So <laughs> that's a good right. way I yeah. think to, to maybe draw those distinctions. Sure. And I think uh, another way of distinguishing uh, art and nature is to um, think about which is more fundamental. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Aristotle very clearly thinks that 
that that art is kind of i mean obviously art's very important right it's it's a great thing that we humans can do right in terms of you know using our knowledge and craft uh to bring about things for our purposes but it's secondary right it presupposes nature right um you know there's a reason that we don't uh build um you know, uh, chairs right? out of, uh, there's several reasons we don't build chairs out of in, inappropriate materials, like leaves or something like that, right? Because they yeah. wouldn't work very well. It's the underlying nature isn't such that it would serve that purpose well. There's a way in which our art is constricted by nature, right? It, you know, um, it, it sort of presupposes nature. Um, you know, you wouldn't, um, there's a lot of things that, you know, might develop in one area where there are certain kinds of natural organisms that wouldn't develop in another area, um, you know, in terms of like even just things like how you provide food, what kinds of clothes you make, all that sort of thing. So I think that's an, uh, do you have any other examples you think about, Joe, that are like that? I was thinking about how we use uh, stones and buildings, and I was thinking, uh, well, maybe we see uh, the, the, the mountain and the mountain mm -hmm. is like the foundation for a whole ecosystem, a whole sure. thing. It's able to hold up whatever is on top of it. Right, right? And right, recognizing yeah. the stone, the stone has this sort of natural capacity that can be repurposed to hold up other structures like, mm -hmm. like a home or something. Mm -hmm. So whenever we're using art, we're recognizing some natural capacity that a thing has that can then be repurposed for some other, some other end that is not a natural end to that substance, right? But That's some right. other end that serves us. Right. And what that shows us, right, is that, that nature has a certain primacy over art or um, that it's, it's prior, right? Yeah, or that, uh, to, that art, art imitates nature, right? Mm -hmm. That we recognize mm -hmm. in nature and functions that certain substances perform that can be taken up into art right? Right. in a yep. different way. Yeah. So I think this uh, helps us to get move also past maybe a kind of colloquial use uh, of the word nature and natural that sometimes comes about just in a, maybe culturally or a casual conversations where we just sort of like, use natural in a very broad sense to say what's not human right you know or what's out there in the woods right um that's going to be important because things happen in the woods that are by chance right but aren't in aristotle's sense and this i think this helps aren't according to nature right um so this we can maybe explain this more as we go along but this will kind of start pushing us towards an Aristotelian notion of nature and nature acting for an end. If a lightning, uh, kind of using what uh, a, a, an example similar to Joe's falling tree, if a lightning bolt uh, kills a badger in the woods, right? That isn't according to nature. That's a chance event. Now we might tend to say, well, in the in natural world, sometimes that happens, right? And, you know, in a loose sense of natural, maybe, okay, fine. If you just mean what happens you know, uh, between natural organisms sometimes, right? But that's not a very, that's not very instructive, right? Or illuminating use. And certainly Aristotle means something more specific, right? Than just what happens to natural organisms um, now and then, right? So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So take the lightning bolt, right? And we mm -hmm. can recognize in the bolts of lightning that uh, its nature is such that it's going to take the path of least resistance to the ground. Right. Right. right, right. Uh, now, incidentally to that, there mm -hmm. might be a possum right there on the ground <laughs> in the middle of the path of least resistance. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing about possums that make them always or for the most part, the path of <laughs> That's right. lightning to the ground. It just happens that this possum is in the yeah. wrong spot at the wrong time and it gets fried. <laughs> right? uh, so we so, can recognize both the nature of the lightning bolt yeah. and the incidental concurrence of the possum. <laughs> is it in the nature of possums to be run over? <laughs> that seems to happen always for the most part. Right. Um, right. Maybe it's in my nature to run over possums. <laughs> right. Incidental uh, to that. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I accidentally ran over a squirrel the other day. It felt bad. <laughs> but, you know, it was just like, you dummy, you're just going back and forth and right. the car, just go across the road. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyways. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, it's not, right? It's it's a it's a it's a result that happens right because we build so many roads right which is a, you know is an art right uh, you know if there weren't so many roads then possums wouldn't be run over right, right. Uh, that kind of thing right so uh, anyways Jason does that help sort of distinguish art and nature 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to apologize to all of our women listening. Uh, uh, please forgive us. Our, our analogies are the best that we can do. And uh, so, yeah, I'll just throw that out there. But they're, they're helpful. They're that's, helpful. Right, that's right. That's right. Lightning, <laughs> lightning bolts and possum. There you go. Um, okay. So I think that, that, that that's helpful, right? So we want to think of nature as something intrinsic, right, uh, to organisms, something that's prior than to, uh, to art, um, and, um, and as a, uh, intrinsic to the organisms and is the cause of, or the root of their development. Right. Uh, so I think this is especially interesting to think about in terms of human beings, but any really living organism, you know, um, we think about human development or development of any organism that's going to involve the development of certain parts, right? Aristotle is famous for it and interesting. Like he's, Unlike his, you know, teacher Plato, right? You know, Aristotle spends a good bit of time thinking about the parts of animals, things like teeth, right? Uh, and 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 that's uh, I think, you know, it shows like the attention he wants to see in the natural world. I'm just wrapping up an intro course, and one of the things I try to lay out there in the intro course is that you know Plato provides a, a you know really compelling and interesting account of order and meaning and purpose based on sort of a transcendent reality, right? Uh, reality beyond change. Whereas Aristotle wants to say, no, actually, you know, he, he does believe in a, a, an unmoved mover and intelligences and things like that. But he also thinks we can find order, right, within uh, change, right? And, and a, a stable kind of order within change. Whereas his master Plato thought, no, that's no, it's just, you know, that stuff, who knows, right? I mean, it's all over the place, right? He says uh, at one point, the Republic is just kind of rolling around between being and non-being, right? Mm. Um, the things of, of change and experience. Whereas Aristotle wants to say, no, if you observe uh, change well enough, you're going to find an order that's intrinsic to it. And I think that order first, in the first case, is nature, right? Uh, and that's, I think, an interesting alternative to Plato, but also an interesting alternative, right, to some kind of modern views, which would kind of think that order or purpose or meaning is outside of nature. It's just something invented by, you know, human beings, right? Um, so that's, I think, you know, why uh, Aristotle's idea of nature is important uh, in some ways, right? Is it, It's an alternative between there's no meaning, right? Or humans just make up meaning and purpose, or it's all transcendent and there's nothing in nature. No, there is something in nature. What, what do you think about sort of slicing it up that way, Joe? Yeah, I mean, that's right. So Plato, we should credit him rightly with recognizing and trying to explain how there could be commonness in things. He just didn't sure. think it could be in things, right? So Plato, we should credit with getting us to recognize universals, uh, sort right. of ascending up from the particular to the universal. But Aristotle, we've got to credit with then bringing us back down from the universal to the mm -hmm. particular, right? So that we can right. find the the natures, the forms, or the the universal mm -hmm. in some way present in the particular here, right? That's so right. that yeah, yeah, uh, we don't have things that are totally just imitations of universal things, but there's there's mm -hmm. actually here present somehow in this dog, the nature right. of dog that is stable. Mm -hmm. even That's amid yeah. the flux that yeah. the dog is sort of undergoing right there's right. something underlying all of those changes that remains there yep right yep. Uh, That's right. i mean yeah. when you start thinking about that way it's kind of a fascinating move right because you're you're saying you know uh, the way i put it in the intro class is uh that uh beneath the 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 changeable and the particular we can find the permanent and the universal mm -hmm. <laughs> right yeah. and i think that that's actually kind of in the pattern right? Is it like a, maybe a modern way or analogous way of speaking of it, right? It's in the pattern of change. It's the human mind that can pull that pattern out, right? Uh, and say, oh, look, there's something stable and universal here um, uh, that despite all of the change that we find, right? Um, and I think, you know, really that's kind of even today, I think that's kind of what the sciences aspire to, right? Uh, whether you're thinking of kind of social sciences like economics and the laws of economics, you look at all the changes, right, that happen within economies. But then, you know, economists try to pull out predictable relationships, structures and processes, form, formulate laws, you know, like the supply and demand, you know, things like that, that will tell you something about prices, uh, the change of prices. Uh, but then also say within ecosystems, right? You know, I mean, you're trying to find a pattern that'll that'll help you understand what's happening in that ecosystem. 
Yeah, they, they keep genus and species in modern right. science, right? They don't get rid of that. Uh, they probably just understand it differently than Aristotle. That's but right. nonetheless, <laughs> right, they're, they're seeing somehow something mm -hmm. common between mm -hmm. different members of a quote-unquote family of animals or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So Aristotle then uh, moves, you know, from, uh, this is uh, all conversations inspired mostly by book two of the physics, um, you know, from, moves from sort of defining nature to, to looking at the claim that nature acts for an end, right? And that's the thing that's really sort of interesting and surprising from a modern perspective, right? Uh, but also from an ancient perspective, because uh, Aristotle sees himself in, in um, disagreement with the, the, the most ancient philosophers, right? <laughs> who tended to be, uh, the, the pre-Socratics, who tended to be more materialist or something like materialism. Um, they tended to describe nature in terms of uh, chance and necessity. Aristotle wants to deny both of nature, strictly speaking, and, say, and instead say that nature acts for an end, right? So he sees three possibilities here. Nature acts by necessity. Nature acts by chance. And nature or nature acts... Um, uh, for an end, right? We might throw in another alternative here, um, which might be the modern alternative, which is that nature is some sort of combination of chance and necessity, right? Mm. Uh, and maybe that's also kind of what maybe some of the the the, the pre-Socratics uh, um, thought as well. Um, so I think it's best, you know, the way Aristotle sets up this argument is he argues first that uh, nature isn't by chance, right? And then second, that nature uh, doesn't act according to necessity. So we'll start with the, the, the chance part here. And I, I, um, I'll read just a little bit from Physics uh, Book 2, Chapter 8, um, because it's really, it's a very interesting passage. And we'll put the, uh, um, that, this text I'm reading from in the, in the notes. Um, it's a little bit longish, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful, okay? So um, a difficulty presents itself. Why should not nature, not for the sake of something, nor because it is better so, but just as the sky rains, not in order to make the corn grow, but of necessity? What is drawn up must cool, and what has been cooled must become water and descend, the result of this being that corn grows. Similarly, if a man's crop is spoiled on the threshing floor, the rain did not fall for the sake of this, in order that the crop might be spoiled, but that, that result just followed. Why then should it not be the same with parts in nature? So here we're talking about the parts of animals, right? For example, that our teeth should come up of necessity. The front teeth sharp, fitted for tearing, the molars broad and useful for grinding down food. Since they did not arise for this end, but as it were, merely a coincidental result. So here then we've got a combination, right? The teeth came up by necessity, and then by coincidence, that is by chance, right? They happen to be good for cutting, right? Okay, so it's a, into that, there's a combination of necessity and chance. And so with all, all the other parts, uh, which we suppose there is a purpose, wherever then all of the parts came about just what they would have been if they had come to be for an end, such things survived. That's so cool, right? Because that, I mean, that, that sounds very contemporary, right? Being organized spontaneously in a fitting mm -hmm. way whereas those which grew up otherwise perished and continue to perish, as Empedocles says uh, his man-faced ox progeny did. That's an unusual reference there, but anyways. Um, so this is a really uh, interesting, um, there's one other line, skip down a couple, he says, for teeth and all natural things either, I'm oh, sorry, well, well, that's Aristotle's answer, but that's a really interesting hypothesis. This is not what Aristotle thinks, right? <laughs> but he's laying this out here in opposition to what he thinks. Joe, what do, you, what do you think about this, this theory that's being described here? Well, uh, there's a lot that's loaded in here. And so if, uh, if we're not you know, really familiar with this passage, uh, we might want to maybe define a few terms. But probably the most interesting thing, right, is, uh, as you pointed out, uh, this is a rather contemporary view. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually extraordinarily similar to Darwinian evolutionary theory, right, by natural selection. Yeah. That... Uh, certain changes just happen one way or another. It's haphazard. Mm -hmm. And as it happens, 
by uh, chance or really by spontaneity. Uh, it happens in a fitting way. And so that those things survive, whereas this uh, man faced ox progeny did uh, not. Right. So <laughs> right. Empedocles uh, thought something like there was all of these uh, random things coming into into being, being generated and be generated in different ways. And some of those mm -hmm. things sort of worked out and some of them uh, didn't. Right. And that's not altogether different than Darwin. It's just that Empedocles sort of puts together really complex parts, whereas Darwin uh -huh. thinks that, they, that the complex parts would only sort of come out of the, the simpler sure. uh, parts, the simpler sort of sure. substances. Yeah. Uh, what about, though, chance and uh, spontaneity, necessity? Mm -hmm. I think we should define those terms. Yeah, that's good. So chance, you know, uh, I think one of Aristotle's famous passages of this is chance has to do with like the farmer finding buried treasure in the field. Right. Right. So, you know, your farmer is out there to, to plow the earth, right. In order to, to get ready to, you know, to sow the seed and, and, you know, get the crops going. Another man, a thief has stolen treasure and buried it in the field. Right. So that he can come back later and get it when his neighbors aren't suspecting him. Right. Um, these two lines, so you think about it as like kind of lines, right, of action, right? You know, the farmer is intending to grow crops, and so he's moving, right, uh, carrying on a series of actions that will bring about the growth of crops. The thief is carrying out a series of actions that will bring about his possession and use of stolen goods, right? These things have nothing intrinsic or essential uh, they have no intrinsic or essential relationship to each other, right? But it just so happens, right, that the farmer, as he's plowing the field, finds the gold, right? And then takes the gold for himself. That didn't happen by nature, didn't happen by necessity, it happened by chance. And, I think that's a what, good illustration, right? What I think you mean, right, by there being no essential connection mm -hmm. is that there's nothing included in the definition that's right. of burying treasure that a <laughs> farmer is going to find it that's right right that's right yeah. whereas like uh if something you know is killed it dies right mm -hmm. there's some sort of essential connection there right so uh that's what we're talking about when we that's say right. that no essential connection we're looking at the the definition of the things happening sure and what's connected with those things in virtue of what they are that's right. Uh, it's good uh, to explain that. You know, so I mean, and, and uh, you know, take the, the 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 side of the farmer on this. I mean, were it the case that oh, finding yeah. buried treasure <laughs> was essential to being a farmer, we'd all be farmers. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, it's not so. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's interesting because everyone recognizes that. You know, like right. uh, you know what's essentially connected with being a farmer, and it's not digging up buried treasure. That's right. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just just crops, right? Which may be worth something or maybe not that's right that's right yeah jason what do you think about that does oh, yeah. that make sense it, that the, yeah, the distinction it, yeah it's very helpful in the in the just the idea that it uh by chance we we mean that it could be otherwise right mm -hmm. there, there could sure. be some other uh uh something else it could happen a different way right so mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. He could have buried it somewhere else. The farmer sure. could not have discovered it, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he might have decided to stay in that that, right. yeah, that morning. Right? No, yeah, yeah, no, y'all explained it very well. All right, good. So, but then, so I think in this setting, right? So you're talking about the development of teeth. Another one that's uh, always challenging to the Darwinian view is the development of the eye. Even Darwin uh, conceded that in his own writings that the eye was so complex, you know, that it, it seemed difficult to uh, account for. Um, but the, the claim here then is, is if, if you're going to follow Empedocles, the teeth come up by necessity. Coincidentally, they're useful for eating, right? And so it's by chance that there's a relationship between teeth. This is so interesting. That it's by chance that there's a relationship between teeth and eating, right? Um, it's, 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 for, it's fortunate, right, that, we, that, that our, our teeth uh, are such that they're just right oh yeah for being yeah. omnivores right? we won the biological lottery right yeah you know just prima facie when i hear that kind of thing it just doesn't seem yeah what do you think jason <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm with you i'm like all right well i mean so you're you're you know by necessity not only did did your teeth uh grow 
they they grew the right size they grew in the right place right they're not on your feet they're not on your your hand right they happen they happen to be here like uh-huh. i mean they're, and then you oh yeah by by chance yeah. Come, you know but but and especially i think what's what's odd about that argument is that you do believe in necessity but only mm-hmm. to a certain point mm-hmm. right so you're going to say the teeth came up by necessity but everything else is by chance well you know why it's by chance that they're useful yeah yeah why is he stop why does he stop the 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 necessary line kind of Mm -hmm. right there i think you know uh i think you know i think it would be it would make more sense just to just to keep going with uh uh the necessity argument but again yeah yeah i mean the thing i think you have to say about it is i guess it's possible right or unless maybe you dig maybe you can find some philosophical principles i think aristotle maybe introduces some that would say actually this is not possible but at least you could say on the front and you know by hypothesis or for the sake of argument you know it's a it's a possible explanation um it just doesn't seem like a very good one i guess given enough time you know the teeth could come up by necessity and they just happen to to be apt for eating and i guess our you know those uh, those that didn't have all the necessity all of the factors that converge to make teeth necessary, right. Or, or come about necessarily. They're the, like just the, I guess they're a bunch of humans who just have gums. Uh, and they, uh, I guess become weak and flabby and die off. Right. Because they can't eat meat or more substantial things. What do you think? Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. This is tough because um, I would want to say that, they, they would push chance back further, right? So uh, it is by chance that the teeth came about and then, the, so, so there's random mutations that are gonna result, uh, so quote unquote random, right? Mm-hmm. Which are not really in a way by chance. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, we assign chance as a cause, right? When we can't really mm-hmm. uh, figure out exactly what's going on or when it's so complicated that we can't, mm-hmm do it like um if you take a, a deck of cards and you shuffle them right there's a like what we might say a one in 52 chance that the ace of spades is on the top right right, right. uh or wherever it might be and but if presumably if you knew all of the <laughs> relevant you know uh-huh. quantitative information uh-huh. about the deck of cards and the friction involved and the amount of force applied in their original position uh you could presumably know uh, that there is where the ace of spades is going to be after the deck is shuffled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? sure, sure. Uh, so I think that that's the way they use the terminology like chance when they're talking about the development of teeth or something, uh, mm-hmm. some mutation, right? That they're behind it all. There's some sort of physical chemical process uh-huh. that's going to uh, might happen to result in some official uh, uh adaption rather mm-hmm. than a mere mutation yeah sure than, uh, yeah i, I guess because what you want to push push back on is to say okay well why did some of the species uh have factors that necessarily produce teeth and other in the same species not necessarily produce teeth right if it is from necessity Right. And, and that we would presume maybe you have the same gum structure, right? You have the same skeletal structure in the face, um, that sort of thing. Uh, why some and, and not all, right? Um, if it's by necessity, right? Well, it would seem that, you know, that maybe there's some underlying factor, but, you know, you, you end up kind of pushing the, kicking the can down the road, right? Uh, again, right? Um, uh so you know of course you know i mean not to bring in too much thomas here but you don't want to have an infinite regress of you know <laughs> you need some sort of per se order eventually right mm-hmm. um uh and chance and necessity don't seem to to account for it so but this is aristotle's uh, aristotle's re- response to this okay is uh and this goes to what you were saying earlier joe that um what happens always or for the most part is uh not by chance, right? That is, it's not coincidental, right? Um, so I'll just read here this other paragraph and, and, and then we'll maybe talk about it. So this is the next paragraph down. He says, yet it is impossible that this should be uh, the true view. For teeth, 
and all other natural things either invariably or normally come about in a given way. But of not one of the results of chance or spontaneity is this true. So this is a, that's the key premise, I think, in, in Aristotle's argument. What's by chance is not invariable or normal or ordinary. We do not ascribe to chance or mere coincidence the frequency of rain in winter, but frequent rain in summer we do, nor heat in the dog days, but only if we have it in winter. If then it is agreed that things are either the result of coincidence or for an end. Really interesting. I think that's a disjunctive there, right? Mm -hmm. it's, either, it's, it's either by coincidence or for the sake of an end, right? Uh, if then, uh, right, so, uh, and these cannot be the result of coincidence or spontaneity, it follows that they must be for an end and that such things are all due to nature, even the champions of theory, which we have as first, we agree. So the way Aristotle is conceptualizing this argument, it seems to me is we've got a disjunctive, right? Either uh, it's by chance or by nature or for, I'm sorry, it's either by chance or for the sake of an end, right? Uh, it cannot be uh, natural motion, cannot be by chance because of the premise um, that nature does what's always or for the most part and coincidental things are not always or for the most part. Therefore, the other hypothesis follows, right? So it's kind of a P or Q, not P, therefore Q style argument. Is that about right? Yeah, so th this should be obvious, right? That uh, what is the result of chance by definition, cannot be always or for the most part, right? Or what? So, like, if you roll the dice and you're getting six every single time, that dice is loaded, right? It's, it's not by chance, right? So everyone knows that. That's right. Um, you would right. know that for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As you, if you're in a competitive game, I've actually there's that. The, this is silly, but there's uh, uh, we liked uh, the boys and my family. We like to play uh, strategy games, right? That involve rolling dice. And there's a dice that I have banned from the game right? <laughs> because too often it came up with fives and sixes. I was like, there's something wrong with this dice. <laughs> it's banned. <laughs> but anyways, but you're obviously right. You know, if you, if you, if you and I were playing a game, right. Uh, or let's just say we were playing, doing a simple bet on, on pulling out one card out of the 52 card deck. Right. Mm -hmm. If you kept coming up over and over and over and over and over again with the ace of hearts, I'm like, wait a second. This is not by chance. That's right. right? Yeah. It, it, this is this is there's there, there's something designated going on, right? Yeah. Right. Now there could still be uh, maybe underneath it, right? Maybe this doesn't. I don't think it is. It doesn't totally refute Darwin. There's. I don't think. I think there's still room for Darwin to speak here, or for maybe Empedocles too. But you could say that initially something had happened by chance. Okay. Right that happened to work out well and because it worked out well then it sort of becomes uh part of of nature right there might be a way to bring both of these guys into some sort of agreement here mm -hmm. like we don't want to say that darwin doesn't think that trees randomly grow sure. in the same shape every single time <laughs> right, right? right yeah that's uh, correct you're right yeah but but that somewhere prior to the development of their current structure there was some sort of change which was in fact random and and mm. probably at the time not if we can speak in aristotelian terms not intended by the nature of the thing that was changing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but it just happened to work out better for the environment in which that particular plant was growing sure to, you know such that it would continue to develop in this new structural way rather than mm -hmm. in the old structural way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a, i think that is a possibility I, um I'll, I'll maybe when we get to the sex on necessity, I'll share what I think. I, I'm not sure about what I think about, it, to be honest, uh, totally. But I see what you're saying. That's that's fair. Um, Jason, did you want to add anything into there on 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 that as far as the structure of the argument or the the the, the main premise there? You know, uh, that uh, what happens uh, always there for the most part is not by chance. No, that's fairly clear. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. So I think Aristotle sees it that way, right? As something that should be, uh, should be a, a clear sort of, um, it's obviously not by chance, right? <laughs> kind of thing, right? Now he also though has the burden here to argue that it's not by necessity, right? So he's going to want to argue it's not by, um, 
it's not by chance it's not by necessity therefore it's for the sake of an end right and again he's talking about things that are natural motions including the development of the parts of animals right so again you're thinking about the development of an organism right over time you think about the growth of a child right uh or even from you know sort of embryology right from the uh from the embryo up through right the um the mature adult uh male right you've got you know parts being developed you know um even after the the all the organs and so forth there's still the brain we know now i mean aristotle wouldn't have known all the details of it but we know now right even the brain kind of continues developing after the the birth of the uh uh the child right uh so there uh what we're what we're asking then is okay is that by chance no it's not by chance right now we're going to look at the what Aristotle has to say about it being uh, by necessity right uh, because he's going to want to deny that it's by necessity then we have a I think then we have to kind of think a little bit about well what does it what does it mean by saying for the sake of an end right because uh, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about um, so his argument against the the necessity is in chapter nine. And I, I won't read that section because it's it's actually fairly short, like what he has to say about it. Um, he thinks that the that the that it's not that natural things don't act um, by necessity except conditionally, right? And that that there's a conditional kind of necessity there, but that that conditional necessity is the material cause is identified with the material cause, and that the material cause is not sufficient to account for. The development of the organism or natural motion right so again he thinks that there's a kind of conditional necessity and that conditional necessity is identified with the material cause but that the material cause is not sufficient is not a sufficient explanation to account for natural motion so um you know, I'll give a, I'll give us maybe an artificial example of the uh, well, I think what he's got going on here, and then maybe we can kind of push out from that to a natural example. So an artificial example here, uh, and you think about conditional necessity. Let's say that I, I buy some lumber in order to make furniture, right? So I want to make a, a wooden table, right? The having the wood, right? Like <laughs> the first step, right, in, in my project here is of course to go and buy the lumber, right? <laughs> to get the materials necessary for the job, right? Uh, I, you know, no necessary for the job. Now, having lumber, let's, let's say I buy the lumber and I put it in the shed in my backyard, right? Having lumber in the shed is actually not necessary as such, right? It's not absolutely necessary, right? Because there was a time when the lumber wasn't in the shed, right? <laughs> you know, like it's, and there's plenty of sheds out there that don't have lumber in them, right? Um, so in that sense, right, the, the, having the lumber in the shed is not necessary. It's conditionally necessary that I have lumber if I want to build, right? You got the if part there, right? It presupposes my intention to build, um, a table that there is wood in the shed, right? Going further, when I begin to assemble that lumber, like I wish it were the case, right, that I could just buy the lumber, set it in the shed, and then come out the next day and there'd be a table, right? That would be awesome, mm -hmm. right? That'd be the yeah. best, right? Uh, but unfortunately, you know, there is not uh, self-generating tables out of lumber yet, right? So um, the uh, rather, you know, the, the lumber needs to be arranged in a given a certain arrangement, right? That is given a form by an agent, right? So here we, we've got the causes starting to unfold, right? We've got a material cause. We've got an agent, myself, purchasing the lumber and then arranging the lumber into a table. And, but I'm not acting at random, right? I'm acting for an end, right? So is there a necessity to the lumber? Yes. It's a conditional necessity conditioned on my, uh, my intention to build right and that lumber doesn't by necessity become a table it becomes a table with the presupposition right of my intention to have a table right so in that sense right the table does not arise of necessity right 
Rather, there's a necessity that's conditioned upon the intention. What do you think about that, Jason? Does that make sense? Yeah, the, yeah. The thing that keeps popping in my head uh, with uh, with this with this kind of uh, uh, just reasoning and stuff is when you know thinking about stem cells. Um, this is why I, I think in science, this is why stem cells are so interesting um, because um, when they're when they're left alone in the body, they develop in such a way that there there seems to be intention but we don't mm. know where it's coming from right <laughs> yeah and 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 so and so because they can you know because again the majority of the time so go back to you know joe's definition right mm -hmm. um the majority of the time certain cells develop into a nose and certain mm. cells develop into a mouth it doesn't you know, it's not like, oh, I wonder if our baby's going to have four noses. This time. <laughs> like, you know, apologize to the women out there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. For Christmas, we'll get new analogies, I promise. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but I mean, like, I think that's why, uh, like, you know, the in science, the study of stem cells is so, is, is so interesting because because we recognize, um, sure. uh, like, you know, that this, you know, to, to, to use your example, right, it would be like us recognizing that, okay, there's, there's this lumber there, and it becomes a bookcase. Uh, so something must have, there must have been some sort of uh, something guiding it, uh, whether, you know, uh, you know, in the case of the stem cells, there's mm. some kind of internal principle yeah. That you know, again, under the right conditions, that's right. that develop uh, that develop into this and develop into that, uh, and there seems to be some intention uh, there. So that I mean, that that's where no, my, that's good. my that's mind a, is that's going. Good. That's, that's good, Jason. I, mean, I think you, what you see in the background is a kind of intentional er, uh, energy, right, uh, or yeah. actuality, right? It's like there needs to be something kind of directing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, the key is that the stem cell in itself is indeterminate, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's the key. It's it's indeterminate and it's awaiting determination. There would need to be some cause to mm -hmm. give it that determination. If it already mm -hmm. had the nature of nose cells or the nature of brain cells or whatever, right. then there yeah. would be nothing. It, mm -hmm. would, it would have to become nose right. cell or brain sure, cell. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. And so this is where I think the, you know, matter as uh, potency, right, uh, as a principle of potential, right, um, it, it's not a sufficient explanation yeah. for the formation of teeth, right? Um, the fact that um, whatever exactly teeth develop out of in the human jaw, right, <laughs> you know, um, that that material just on its own isn't sufficient account uh what the matter and it doesn't give you a, su a sufficient account of action always and for the for the for the most part right which is our our our, our kind of criteria for what's natural right so instead right so we have chance you know nature doesn't act by chance nature doesn't act by necessity right um, they, the, the necessity there presupposes a kind of arrangement, right? <laughs> a kind of form, a kind of intentionality, right? Uh, for the matter to come to be, right? This mm -hmm. uh, thing on a regular basis uh, that is teeth in our, in our example. So instead, they cut, na nature acts for an end. Nature brings about teeth um, because it's good right and it's good for this organism right i think you know sometimes i've tried to avoid saying it because it's good right because you want to kind of keep your metaphysics as thin as possible especially when you're <laughs> you're trying to like defend all this stuff right in a, in, a, in a contemporary context but the truth is i mean that's what aristotle thinks i mean that's aristotle's view right is that you know uh that we have the feet we have um, because it's good for us, right? To, uh, it's it's good for the organism to be Homo erectus, right? That is to be st to stand upright, right? Um, and to uh, and our hands are structured the way they are. They are because it's desirable for us to have these kinds of hands, and it's desirable for us to have teeth that we have because it's desirable to have an omnivore diet, right? Um, uh, that sort of thing. Is that is that correct, Joe? 
as far as yeah, I can I tell. So I mean, I, I do think this is this is a really complicated question, and I think that uh, I think the stem cell matter thing is really really good. Um, I still think that there could be we're we're going to get pushback. This is this is where I, I'm just trying to make sure that everyone knows we haven't totally resolved. I think the question. Mm-hmm. We're going to get pushed back where somebody will say something like, uh, well, the reason the stem cell matter uh, becomes teeth and uh, that that happens to work out is because, well, there's some sort of determination that is in the DNA sure. that gives that gives that sort of direction to the stem cell matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just happens to work out uh, mm-hmm. well. Right. Yeah. So it's complicated. I agree. The but you know there you know if you're going with DNA right you you just you're just kicking the can down the road as far as I'm concerned right because you're you're still going to end up with well why do why do these proteins right and uh, that's and, right you know yeah. components you know produce this outcome here and this outcome there well yeah. it has to do with their arrangement right and that arrangement you know either comes from chance necessity or intention right yeah it seems to me it seems to me Aristotle's laying this out as like here are your options, right? You know, for, now he doesn't, as we say, he does think there's a conditional necessity, right? You know, uh, uh, here. So he's not sort of dismissing necessity altogether, right? He's not dismissing the matter altogether, right? The matter is necessary. It's, it's the, you could say, maybe using ter- modern terminology, you know, ne- it's the necessary condition, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the sufficient condition uh, for that development. Um uh, yeah, and you know, I mean, kind of maybe also in Aristotle in the background here, Aristotle still has um, some Plato <laughs> back there, right? In terms of thinking that it's for the good, right? Um, mm-hmm. But maybe we can get to that in a, in a few minutes. Um, what do you think, uh, Joe, about how we how should we understand nature acting for an end? Um, Certainly, he doesn't mean that trees have purposes like carpenters, right? In the sense of, I could do this, I could do, you know, and then a volitional intention and things like that, right? right? He's not saying- Yeah, they're determined to one, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's not saying that. So in what, you know, now we metaphorically, maybe we could kind of, you know, talk about that. Um, But what, uh, how, how should we describe the tree acting for an end that's distinct from- um, a carpenter acting from an end for an end. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the, the first, you know, the first thing we say is that there, there is no um, options, right? Mm-hmm. That there is a certain determination uh, written into what the tree is that determines it to one certain direction, one certain act, which yeah. is its proper function or perfection, mm-hmm. right? So I think the principal difference there is that the tree does not set its own end, whereas mm-hmm. the artist mm-hmm. does, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, there's still uh, a certain similarity in that the artist can fail in his work mm-hmm. and the tree can also fail, Yes. right? So right. Uh, we're not talking about a strict necessity in the sense that it cannot but happen. That's right. We are talking about something where uh, the, the tendency, or if you speak a little loosely and you say the intention of nature is always going to be the production of uh, the new tree and the mm-hmm. perpetuation of the species, mm-hmm. uh, which is very Darwinian, right? There's a lot sure. of agreement there. Perpetuation um, of species, sir. Yeah. So uh, that's the intention of the tree. And then sometimes the tree falls short of achieving that, that mm-hmm. action there because it has some defect in the matter, whether because there's some intervening coincidental cause, like a bolt of lightning that interrupts the process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be a potentially infinite number of intervening causes that could prevent mm-hmm. it. Right, um, right, right. So, but the, it would still be in a situation where we're recognizing that even with things that are non-cognitive, uh, non right, um, that they um, can act for an end, um, in that sense, you're talking about they have an intrinsic trajectory towards a certain kind of developmental pattern, towards a certain right. perfection, a certain kind of actualization. But what's I think really key to me if this is pushing it too far, the parts it's it's not that because it's easy to get this messed up, right? Well, given the parts, then this results always, right? I don't think that's right for Aristotle. It's given this purpose or this end, this good, this desirable outcome. Right. 
than the parts, right? That is like the eye doesn't just happen to have a structure that befits seeing rather um, the end, the desirable end of seeing is the cause of the arrangement of the eye. Right. Right. Yeah. That's correct. So the generation of, of an eye, right. is because uh, it is good for uh, the sensitive animal to be able to see, right. Mm -hmm. Or the uh, generation of a certain kind, a certain color of fruit on a tree is good mm -hmm. because it attracts certain animals uh, to the tree to eat the fruit, spread the seeds right. or something. That's right. Right. Yeah. right. yeah, absolutely. That's the order of priority, I think, for ourselves. And I, and I think for, for that, I think that in a lot of ways, that's prior to Darwin, whether Darwin fully intended this or not, but I kind of think he did uh, because he says he does want to get rid of teleology, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that this is actually, I think, kind of the common sense way, like prior to Darwin to think like, you know, uh, about, well, you know, like whenever you think about an ecosystem or a complex relationship between different organisms or things like that, that there's some sense in which it's good, right, uh, for for this, you know, natural relationship to happen. In which case, right, desire, this I think is really interesting in a number of ways, desirability is built into nature, right? You know, uh, that, that, that um, there's good, like goodness, right, is not a projection onto nature, right? But rather goodness is part of uh, the natural order uh, of things, right? We can, find, we can find goodness there, we can discover goodness, but it's part of both the explanation of natural occurrences, right? As well as, uh, you know, uh, the foundation of ethics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's an, that sounds right and complete to me. I don't think yeah. I have anything to add. Okay. Well, I think what, yeah, I do want to make a, a qualification and say, I don't mean necessarily moral goodness, right? I mean, we could talk about natural sure. goodness without moral goodness. Moral goodness is a subset of that of, of goodness, right? Moral goodness has to do with uh, voluntariness, right? Uh, so we voluntarily strive for what's really desirable, but that that there are things that really are desirable is already uh, uh, sort of packed into nature uh, yeah. itself, right? So account. So I guess you know what I think. Where all this matters then is that. And you think about, this is a, a point, the, a strange uh, philosopher, not a Thomist at all, but Alvin Plantinga brings up in his considerations about evolution. And that is, um, you know, how do you know that the human mind is set up such that if, it, if it's randomly generated, right, you know, uh, how do you know that the human mind is set up such that it finds the truth, right? Maybe it's just a weird mechanism that just, you know, systematically creates illusion or something right you know like rather we 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 are science already presupposes right the fecundity and reliability of our cognitive mechanism right that it's capable of uh, discovering the truth well that makes a lot more sense right in a world where we think things are organized for what's desirable for them right you know that the mind would be such that oh it finds truth right you know and that's because truth is desirable for the mind right or for something that is uh um cognitive yeah i wonder if uh also it's it'd be helpful to to add that uh building on what you said before that the sort of default way of approaching nature Mm -hmm. Right. Is that it does act in this ordered way so as to always and for the most part achieve this best result. Mm -hmm. And it really takes a bit of a highfalutin philosophical reasoning <laughs> <That's right. laughs> to get to see it as, oh, actually, no, it's this ultimately this product of chance, like the way uh, Empedocles thought. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the way Aristotle and Aquinas approach this, right? That mm -hmm. the, the priority here is that really it's evident that nature acts for an end it's inductively mm -hmm. evident because we see the order every time we look outside mm -hmm. and we abide by the order every single time we do something that's right and we know what's going mm -hmm. to happen you know even if i right. set the coffee mug down i know it's not <laughs> going to float up into the air right <laughs> that's right uh, so uh, that sort of regularity i think is there it's evident from uh, induction mm -hmm. and everyone sort of knows it so really if we're going to be dealing with problems like evolution it seems to me the task is not to try to resolve aristotle into that as if somehow darwin has the uh the, the place of priority here right, right. In, in the scientific 
uh, procedure, right? We always start with what is more known and then mm -hmm. try to uh, work out what is more obscure. And in this case, I think it is obvious that mm -hmm. uh, if chance is involved in the production of natures, then that is certainly not as clear as the order that's, that's right. evidently found in all things of the natural world. So we would start from this place of recognizing that uh, there, it is evident that nature acts in an ordered way, so it's mm. always, for the most part, achieve the best result. And if it also happens to be the case that there are genetic mutations that can mm. happen to different different animals, different different natures, to give them new attributes or even perhaps new capacity, mm. well, there's got to be a way that that is resolvable back to what is more evident, namely that nature mm -hmm. acts in an ordered way so that's right always yeah that's that's very yeah that's that's great uh joe I, I totally agree with that um so yeah i mean i think uh i know we need to probably wrap it up here but i think that's all helpful in terms of thinking about you know evolutionary theory thinking about just just from a contemplative perspective when we contemplate nature right uh i think it's um exciting and enriching right to think about the contemplation of nature in terms of you're contemplating an order of desirability and goodness there, right? It's not just this thing that happens to, you know, <laughs> cause me to have certain feelings about it, but rather I have feelings of appreciation and estimations about nature because that's in nature, right? Mm -hmm. That is that there's a kind of desirability there. Um, uh, I think that that's uh, another uh, important result and it's the foundation of ethics, right? Uh, as well. One last thing, and I don't want to maybe uh I just want to offer as a suggestion uh, uh, before we wrap up, uh, Jason, but um, this opens up uh, then once you sort of accept this view, it does open up an avenue into natural theology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that from, say, Thomas's developments of this in the fifth way. Um, I also think that there might be, I'm not prepared to, to argue this right now, but um, Joe, have you read much Lloyd Gerson? No. No, no he's a not. scholar of Aristotle. You know, he wrote that controversial book, uh, Aristotle and Other Platonists. Oh, okay. I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he has some interesting things to say about um, the unmoved mover and the relationship between the unmoved mover and final causality um, that I think maybe are underappreciated sometimes in Aristotelian scholarship. Um, there's also sort of a... Um, an argument Ed Fazer right uses right he tends to to be kind of down on uh, um, Paley's arguments right uh, you know he thinks that that what Paley is doing and what Aristotle is doing are, are really radically different right uh, in terms of or what Aquinas is doing sorry in the fifth way uh, are really radically different and he might be right in a lot of ways um, but one thing that that strikes me about final causality is that maybe it's the case that for Aristotle, final causality does um, ultimately depend on uh, divine noose, right? That is some sort of thinking and intentional thing, right? Certainly the way I read the fifth way, which is a little bit maybe different than Phaser. I'm not, I, I never can quite get exactly what he's trying to dispute there, but um, the way I read the fifth way is that although nature acts for an end, unintelligent things are not a sufficient cause for acting for an end, <laughs> right? That is yeah. unintelligent things are not, can't, it, it, it's fine as an explanation to say that the eye sees because, right, it's natural. That's a good, that's a good explanation. We can give lots of explanations about how that, you know, the process or whatever, but that matter, like matter doesn't, unintelligent matter doesn't self-organize into intentionality, but rather the, that presupposes mind at some level. Right. And so that mind is really uh, like you can talk about levels, maybe a final causality, but ultimately sort of that that sense of intentional cognitive final causality seems to be sort of the ultimate account. I don't, like I said, I don't have all the steps for the argument, but just as a kind of a, 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 a project, what do you think about that, Joe? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I think it has to. I think this, this is the way the fifth way goes right i think mm -hmm. your reading of it is basically right uh he starts with the premise that it is evident that 
there are things acting for ends in nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it is also equally evident that things in nature do not have the capacity to do this on their own, <laughs> right? right? So, right. so like the like the other uh, many of his other arguments for the existence of God, if you identify some capacity that something has that doesn't have simply automatically and in virtue of itself, mm -hmm. that has to be derived from something else that does have that sort of capacity. Mm -hmm. So, if you have a thing which is directed not by chance but in an ordered way, always for the most part, so as to achieve the best result. That's right. That means there's some sort of noose uh, out right. there <laughs> yeah. directing it, right? And I yep. think that much, it's it's clear, like if we found on Mars concentric circles of rocks, right? We found order. <laughs> that, in that would be such a fun argument to have, right? Like when we say, oh, no, no, it's just by chance in nature. Yeah, 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 right. the, right? <laughs> uh, yeah but, but it'd be obvious, right? It'd be, right. It'd be so obvious that, that there's some sort of mind behind that sort of organization because the rock obviously cannot do that simply automatically in virtue of what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, it just absolutely. wouldn't happen. Yeah. It seems to me then that we're like, and maybe we can do this for another podcast, but there's a per se order of causes then, right? In, yes. in, in which, you know, nature acting for an end presupposes um, cognitive action for an end, for lack of a better you know, way of putting it. But. Mm -hmm. Jason, what do you think about yeah. that? Oh, you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, I love all of it. I'll just say that. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It, it's good in helping. Um, I, I think for the Christian, I'll bring it back mm -hmm. to that. Uh, you know, for the for the Christian, right? And trying to really bring together, you know, um, uh, the God of reason and the God of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think this is very helpful. And to see that, you know, we can have uh, uh, rational, non- uh, I don't want to say non-theological, but almost pre-theological arguments. Sure. That's fine. Yeah. Um, kind of pre-theological arguments for why we believe what we believe, particularly. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I think this sets up perfectly when we go into especially things like, you know, sexual ethics and things like that. This mm -hmm. does a, a fantastic job of, uh, of setting up what we believe that it just doesn't come out of, you know, a old bunch of celibate men in Rome telling us what to do, but, it, <laughs> but it comes out of, out of, out of, out of, uh, good philosophy, clear thinking, mm -hmm. and, um, so good, some good, solid, uh, principles, uh, that need to be thought through and, uh, well argued. Um, and so, uh, thank you, Joe, for joining us today. Yeah, Joe, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. This was good fun. Yeah. 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 You've added a lot to our conversation. I think we've given our audience a lot to think about. And so I want to invite all of our listeners, uh, check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.